0: Listen to me, man. You have a great life in front of you. But your great life is in front of you. It's not behind you. What you did back there ain't got nothing to do with what God got for you. What you did back there was learn the lessons to get you to where you are at this particular moment right here. But what God got for you, do you know, man, that you can actually mess your life completely up? You can jack it all the way up and you can turn around and get it right. Do you understand that you could have had a baby out of wedlock and still be all right? Do you know that you can be divorced multiple times and still be okay? Do you understand that you cannot have a degree and still be just fine? You will not know how I know? Cause I'm telling you what I know. I lost everything twice. I don't know if you've ever lost everything before, but I've been bottomed out twice. I done seen rock bottom two times. I've been through some walls up in here, man. I'm just trying to tell you, man, God is really with you. You ain't got to believe me, but keep doing it without God. Let me know how it worked for you. Matter of fact, write a book on how to make it without God. Cause I want to read it. I want to read the first page. And then I'm going to read the last page because there ain't going to be but two. You can jack your life all the way up. God is in the forgiving business. You can make all the mistakes you want to make or think you shouldn't make. God is in the get it together business. If you got dreams and visions, I got news for you. God is in to make your dream come true business. He did it for me, how he won't do it for you? A Lot of y'all better than me. I'm just gonna flat out tell you. Most of y'all ain't done what I had to do to get to where I am today. You just ain't had to do this type of dirt. You ain't been homeless, so what, what you, you ain't, you ain't got to scrap like me. Most of y'all didn't come, you're not old as me. I've overcome it all because I have a relationship with him. And you can listen to me and tell that I'm not a perfect person. I am not a perfect Christian. I have my flaws. I am a flawed human being. But guess what? You are too. You ain't got it all together. I dare you to say you do. I make a lot of money, man. But guess what? I ain't got it all together. I'm hurting. I'm hurting, man. Everybody tripping through something. Everybody. I don't care who you are. You're going through something. But if you got God, you can make it. I'm just telling you this little piece of information. I don't see most of y'all most of the time. So you're sitting here, you're kind of looking at me a little bit. Ah, oh, Why Steve talking like this stuff? I'm just trying to put you put on game. All y'all want to be successful. And you want to be happy. But you got to get there. It's a shortcut to getting there. The shortcut to getting there is the relationship with God. If you try it without it, you're going to fail miserably. You're going to sink, man. It's going to be ugly for you. Now this is what you got to do. Identify your guilt and get busy with it. God gave all of you a gift identify your gift it is the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort that's your gift get busy at that if it's drawing if it's teaching if it's sharing if it's caregiving he put that gift inside of you he didn't hide it under a rock or put it under the mountain or put it on the mountain somewhere he put the gift in you do you look at me any kind of way you want to what i'm just telling you is real That's how you become successful. Identify your God-given gift, what he gave you at birth. If you do that, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive. I am telling you, that is a fact.
1: The easiest thing I've done was to get out from under the labels and to live the life that I live. The most difficult thing I've ever done was to believe that I can do it. The difference is that when you don't know what's impacting you, and it's it's something that that's holding you down and you're not aware of it, there are things that when you, in, in my situation, you live in a dominant culture that is designed to destroy your sense of self and your belief in yourself, and, and you have to learn ways in which you can begin to connect with this power that you have within yourself to handle where you are. The key is to be constantly in a perpetual process of discovering the truth of who you are and fighting constantly to look for ways in which you can escape the inner conversation. Between ages zero and five, we determine what's available to us and what's not available to us. And so that was a defining moment, I knew. There are certain things I could not do, certain places I could not go. They used to have signs on Miami Beach that said, Jews, dogs, and colors not allowed. And so now you have to operate within the constraints of of the dominant society, and the things that they've created for you. And it's a challenge to see yourself beyond that and to work to get outside of that, even after those laws have changed because that has become so much a part of you, you unconsciously operate within the parameters of what has been put in place. Like you go, you're driving on an expressway, the four or five, and you'll get off on an exit that you weren't going in that direction, but you unconsciously did it because you've done it so many times that many people, because they're not making a conscious, deliberate, determined effort to think outside of what life has thrown at them. They end up doing the same thing over and over and over again. Einstein said that thinking that has brought me this far has created some problems that this thinking can't solve. And so through relationships, through reading, through studies, through goals and dreams beyond your comfort zone, it it allows you to begin to live out of your imagination as opposed to out of your history. Disney said, the imagination is a preview of what's to come. They have to expose themselves to something that will give them a different vision of themselves. And in addition to that, they have to put themselves in a community of what I call OQP, only quality people. A gentleman who dramatically transformed my life, I was a junior at Booger T. Washington High School in Miami, Florida, and I went in his class looking for another friend, and, and he said, go to a board and work this problem out for me. I said, sir, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, uh, I'm not one of your students. He said, do it anyhow. And the other kids started laughing, saying, he's Leslie. He's D.T. And he said, what's D.T.? He's, his brother is smart, but he's the dumb twin." And and I said, I am, sir. And he came from behind his desk and he pointed at me and said, don't you ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. And he taught me three things. He said, if you want to become successful in life, young man, he said, number one, you've got to change your mindset. He said, you don't get in life what you want, you get in life what you are. Number two, practice OQP, only quality people you earn within two to $3,000 of your closest friends. I found that out, I left all my bro- broke friends. I said, y'all gotta go. Because <laughs> I used to be so broke, I'd pass the bank and trip the alarm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the third thing he said, develop your communication skills. Because once you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are. He said, those are three major things that you want to work on. That will liberate you from living in Liberty City, living in poverty and overtown. It will help to escape out of where you are right now because I see you watching me and I know you want more. I can see the hunger in your eye. You get hungry by finding something that's you. I believe that all of us are born unique, but most of us die copies you got to find out what is it that turns you on what resonates with you Uh, one of the things that I realized and what allowed me to become successful as a speaker the speaking industry has been hijacked by people who speak to sell and it's, it's okay to do that and make money I speak to change lives because somebody spoke and changed my life so this is my passion this is my drive. This is something that I feel in my heart. And, and so the key to that hunger-driven life is a heart-centered life. I didn't do what I'm doing for years because of my programming, because of the culture in which I was raised in. I would see other people with, with degrees and PhDs and, and MBAs and credentials I don't have, and I convinced myself I couldn't do it. But Mr. Washington, on that day we became friends and and he taught me not only someone's opinion of you does does not have to determine your reality, he said that you have to work on yourself and you have to have an unstoppable attitude and no excuse is acceptable and you've got to to make it a a priority, a non-negotiable in your life and hold a, a constant vision of what it is you want to achieve see it accomplished, and go all out find a way to win in spite of the setbacks in spite of the disappointments in spite of your failures I I tell people when I'm giving presentations you will fail your way to success I have a saying is life knocks you down try and land on your back because if you can look up you can get up (laughs) and so those experiences of of going after goals that's beyond your comfort zone and having relationships that will challenge you and surrounding yourself with coaches and mentors who can take you to a place within yourself that you can't go by yourself because you can't read the label when you're locked in the box. And so those experiences, they challenge you to go to that next level and continue to move forward in your life doing new and exciting things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard. nor as in the heart of mankind what God has in store for you when you live a hard centered life deciding that you're going to live a life that will outlive you. You're going to live a life that counts a life that will build a legacy and change the planet. You know, Horace Mann said we should be ashamed to die until we've made some major contribution to humankind. And so my goal is to make a, a major contribution to humankind. Every day when I get up, my mindset is, what is it that I can do to touch and impact somebody's life today? What is it? What does that look like? Don't live the life that has been given you by their circumstances, by the people that's around you. Sidney Poitier wrote a book called The Measure of a Man. And he said when you go for a walk with someone something happens without being spoken he said either you adjust to their pace or they adjust to your pace whose pace have you adjusted to and so the things that we pick up and we think that there are choices but they're the choices that we've been programmed by life to to do i mean when we leave our homes in the morning We're bombarded with over 6,000 advertising hits through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through television, through our phones and through our communities uh, and through the computers. And so all of these things are impacting us every day. So if you don't have a program for your mind, then your mind is going to be programmed and you'll find yourself doing things that you did not know and that they affected you, that they, through marketing techniques and strategies, that they will create a thirst within you. I came up in an era that said, if you built the best mousetrap, the world would be a path to your door. But if you know marketing, people will sleep outside your store to buy a telephone they've never touched or seen.
0: How many times has God showed you something in your imagination that you thought was so wonderful and then you took it in there to your family and your friends and you shared it with them and they shot it down you know why they shot it down because they couldn't see it you know why they didn't see it because God ain't show it to them he showed it to you God put it in your imagination You don't put it in other people's imagination. Stop telling your visions to other people because they're not going to see it. Why you think you keep imagining opening a business? Why you keep imagining graduating, getting a better job? Why do you keep imagining buying a house? Why do you keep imagining driving a really nice car? Why do you keep imagining getting rich one day? Why do you keep imagining that? Because God is talking to you. You've got to understand how good God is. He ain't playing with you. He the real deal. He created you. And then he even showed you what he got for you. You got to start believing in your imagination. You got to start talking to him about this stuff you be seeing. But you have not because you ask not. So if you see the vision, the imagination, but you don't ask God for it, what you want him to do? He showed it to you, faith without works is dead. So now you got to put in work. All of y'all sitting in here, you want a better life, correct? Have you, haven't you have you imagined a better life? Okay, who, who you think he showed it to? He showed it to you. Why you think he showed it to you? Because he want to give it to you. But if you don't work, if you don't ask him for it, he cannot give it to you because he created us with the power of choice. We make choices every day. If you decide that you will be poor, there's nothing I can do. You're going to be poor. If you decide to be rich today, who's going to stop you? Who? If you decide you want to be rich, all you got to do is start. Why not? Who's going to stop you? Unless you tell it to the wrong person. Mama, mama, listen to me. I'm going to be rich. Anybody rich in this family, go in there and sit out somewhere. Get yourself a good job. Oh, mama, you must be right. No, mama could be wrong. Because what you have in your imagination, God didn't show it to your mama. I'm sorry he showed it to you. Listen to me. If y'all don't do nothing else, write everything you imagine down. Write it all down. Pray about it and watch what happens. God can fix me you have no idea who you are looking at you have no idea what I've done you have no idea what I've been through. you you wouldn't even talk to me if you knew what I had to do to be here but God is in the forgiving business God is in the get your life together business God is in the turn it around business God is in the saving business God did all that for me. So I'm telling you right now, if God can fix Steve Harvey and turn him into this, I bet he can turn you into that.
2: If you only know how to behave, you're just a domesticated house cat or a a lap dog. You have to be, you have to push beyond the persona, and that's what the integration of the shadow does from the union perspective. It's like to pull that monster that's being edited out of you, to pull that back in and to allow that to reveal itself within your, within your increasingly sophisticated way of being. And then you're not just a persona. So if you want to push back on your persona, uh,
0: are you saying that you have to cultivate your, dark, your shadow? Is that yeah, the well, premier of, path?
2: Yeah, yeah, because the thing is, you can't, you can't escape from your persona unless you can say no. Like, here's, an, here's an example from popular culture. Um, in the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter is obviously the hero of the story, but he's touched by malevolent, right? The only reason he can stand up against evil is because there's some evil in him that, yeah. that he's incorporated, essentially. Well, and that's exactly right. The, the persona, the, the, if you're a persona, then you're an obedient citizen. The problem with being an obedient citizen is that if the society tells you to march the Jews off to the death camp, for example, and you're obedient, then that's what you'll do. And it doesn't, it isn't like society is civilized and then all of a sudden you're performing some act of atrocity. That isn't how it works. It's like you're, you're an obedient citizen and then you're asked to violate your conscience a little bit. And you, you have to because you don't have anything other than that persona. And so, and that's obedience. And so, a little more obedience is demanded you say, okay. Well and then you're a little bent because the society is becoming a little bent. And then you're a little weaker. Then they, you're asked to violate your conscience a little bit more. And you think, well, there's a little less of me, and the pressure's on a little more. And I could have said no before, but I didn't. So you say yes again. Then you say yes again. And then, and then you have a society where one third of the population is informing on the other two thirds. It's hell. It's like, well, so how do you say no? Well, that's the shadow. It's like, And that's, see, the reason that the video I did with, about Bill C-16 and its compelled speech provisions went viral, was because I said no. I didn't say it casually. What I meant was, there isn't anything that you can do to me that I can imagine that will force me to utter the words that you want me to utter. Nothing. And I meant it. And when I made the video, I think people could actually tell that I meant it. And so I took this abstract problem and made it concrete. I said, no, that's not happening. And so and that's part of the incorporation of the shadow. But in this regard,
0: the shadow is actually benevolent, not malevolent.
2: Well, once it's incorporated, yeah, yeah well, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what to make of that in its entirety, because it, it sort of means that if you mean something like, because one of the old metaphysical problems is, why would God allow evil into the world? I think, well, maybe God didn't allow evil into the world. Maybe God allowed the possibility of evil into the world. That's different. And maybe the world with the possibility of evil is actually a better world than the world without the possibility of evil. It's something like that. You know, in that maybe a man is better when he's a dangerous man who's being good than he would be if he was just a good man who wasn't capable of being dangerous. And I believe that because the best men that I've ever met are very dangerous men. You don't mess with them. Yeah. So, And you know that as soon as you meet
0: Do you think weak men can be virtuous? No. Because I think that when you're weak, let's say that signals that you don't have the options to sin. Right. Which is something that creates resentment and resentment creates corruption. Mm-hmm. So in this sequence, do you think that someone without teeth or without the options to sin
2: can be... Can be, can be good. See, that's a, that's a real theological question, right? Because the question you're asking is, and this is tied up with the idea of free will and evil. Can a person who doesn't have the option to be evil be good? And I would say no. So maybe that's the reason that metaphysically speaking, you know, and I don't know where you are when you're speaking metaphysically exactly, but the question of why is there evil in the world is a constant question. It's like it's possible that without the possibility of evil, there cannot be good. Good requires the possibility of evil. And and maybe good is so good that the fact that it requires the possibility of evil is acceptable. Maybe it's even desirable. I mean you know, you, you kind of end out, end up on the edge of your knowledge when talking about such things. But it seems to me to be right, yeah. And it and it seems to me right, be right in a lived sense. You know, like um, I met Jocko Willink. He's a good example. I mean, Willink was the commander in Ramadan, I think. And you know, you can say what you want about American military involvement it has nothing to do with that, really, not not at this level of analysis. He's a tough guy. Tough guy. He's a he said. He told me quite straightforwardly that he was one of those kids that as an adolescent could have gone either way, right? Yeah. He could have been a highly successful street criminal, yeah. right? But he did, Yeah, probably. Well, you can see it, but he decided not to do that. And You know, he's very, I would say... He's, he was a SEAL, right? Huh? hmm that's right. And he's psychophysiologically intimidating. He's a big guy. You can tell he knows how to use it, and you can tell he used it. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, he's a good person. And that's all of that capacity for mayhem is part of what makes him a good person. And people know that. That's why they're listening to him. And like I said, the other people I've met, the men I've met who are good men, they're all like that. They're all dangerous. They're all dangerous. Then the question is, well, how extreme does the rule-breaking become? Well, it would vary from person to person, but I would say that most of them, not all of them, But most of them were more on the end of the rule-breaking spectrum, right? They broke more rules than normal, but they clued in, you know, and decided, explored that and then decided, no, that's that's not, that's better than cowardice, it's better than weakness, but it's not as good as what's good. One of the most amazing things that I discovered this year, or stumbled upon, was I was puzzling over a line in the New Testament, which I've always been curious about because it never sat right with me. The meek shall inherit the earth. So I was, as as I said before, if you go online, Bible Hub, I think it's called, Bible Hub. It's really good for this because it contains a collection of commentaries. So you can look at a verse. Yeah, Yeah. you you can look at a verse and know the translations, multiple translations, and multiple commentators. So each verse is taken apart by many, many people. And I found out that the word meek, meek either doesn't mean now what it meant when people first translated the text, or it was a mistranslation, either way. But because meek sounds like powerless and harmless, it's something like that, right? But what meek actually means, it's the derivation of a word. It's the translation of a word that meant something more like those who have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed. I thought, oh yes, that's exactly it. The world, um, the, those who have swords and know how to use them but choose to keep them sheathed will inherit the world. It's like, yes, exactly right, exactly right.